the value proposition is in the package. You communicate to your customer the craft that you put in it by the choice of container and the choice of the label, the feel of the label. I say that all the time, like every single aspect of this object that you are creating and you want to give it like a gift, you have the opportunity to make a conscious choice about every single aspect of it. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome to another episode of To Be Blunt. My name is Shada Tarabi, and I am your host of the show, and time is honestly flying by. We are on episode six, and today's guest, Chris Guthrie, is the general manager of Delta 9, a company that provides cannabis operations with the best technology and products to become more efficient, eliminate waste, and maximize profits. Think labeling, scanning, optimization, and so much more that Chris will dive into today. Today, he's also a cannabis industry veteran, having worked at one of Seattle's first and longest running medical dispensaries and has participated in many aspects of the industry from cultivation and processing to retail. So here's Chris on today's episode. My name is Chris Guthrie. I am the general manager for Delta 9 Systems, and I am a division of a larger parent company called General Data Company. General Data is a 30-year-old, really successful and well-known label manufacturer. That's the core of the business. And my CEO and the guy that hired me was one of the first entries and the first people to recognize what barcoding was going to be able to do for manufacturing and record keeping and just traceability and all the things that people used to do with a pencil and paper, right? So... He got into the barcode space and very quickly grew the business to include pharmaceutical, manufacturing, automotive, all the industries that you know you see with barcodes on it. And that led to becoming a huge reseller of all of the peripherals and equipment that you need to execute a barcode traceability system. And that's a scanner, that's a printer, that is, of course, uh, the labels that go in it in any sort of configuration. So like back in the bowels of the shop, there is this R&D space where you basically give them a problem and say, okay, I need to put a barcode on a steel barrel in the middle of Alaska in the dark that's covered in oil that will not wear off or be able to be chewed up by a bear. And they're like, okay, we'll see you in two weeks. And like, there's like sawing and hammering and drills and like animal sounds. And in two weeks, they come out with this like metalized, indelible surface that you can stick onto a barrel that is covered with oil and the adhesive will eat through the oil and adhere itself to the barrel. And you're like, all right, so you're like Dumbledore back there, right? And then about, I guess it's like a year and a half ago, I met Pete, my boss, and he had been hearing a whole lot about all of the barcoding that goes on in the cannabis industry. That like every single plant needs a unique ID. And when you harvest it, you need to scan the barcode and then you need to get a wet weight and a batch weight and then separate into lots and then sublots and then all the products that you come up with, they all need barcodes. And so... What he was seeing is that a lot of his partners had also recognized that there is like a huge industry that is building itself right now. And I say building itself very deliberately. And they had been sort of on the outside of the industry, like casting their fishing lines and their traditional channel sales models into the industry. And the industry was looking at him like, what's up? You want to sell me some stuff, huh? I bet. Peace. Because everybody in the industry is so, first of all, protective of their runway, like the money that they have to start up. Every, like, I don't feel like you are in the hemp or cannabis game unless you have lost six figures. 
you're just like not even in the game. You're not even a serious player unless you have made some like very serious, costly mistakes, got involved with somebody that you shouldn't have, not gotten the right contract done, and then gotten totally fleeced and been like, okay, well, I guess I just flushed that time and money down the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I recognize that face. Like I have two of those stories. I have so many stories. I'm trying to hold them in because it's like, where do you start? I, I don't know because there are so many of these hucksters around who just see money and say like, all right, these people don't know what they're doing about the people in the cannabis industry. All they know is how to grow weed and they're probably idiots because they smoke weed, right? Which is like the subconscious that every single cannabis entrepreneur hears every time they get a cold call or an email from somebody who wants to sell them something, right? So Pete saw that and said, okay, in order to gain any sort of credibility within the industry, I've got to become the industry. I've got to be in the industry first. And so he started asking around to some of his partners. One of his channel partners knew me. I was bud tending in a super awesome uh, dispensary in Seattle called The Bakery. And I was serving him. He was definitely not bringing all that flour back to Kentucky in a suitcase. Definitely not doing that. But he got it back here somehow. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, and I got on the phone with Pete. And he's like, well, you know, I would like to basically give you access to the business and have you pick the pieces that are relevant to the industry and then communicate to the industry for us. And Delta 9 Systems was born. And so I've got computers, printers, scanners, and scales, everything you need for traceability. I started there. And those are tailored into each individual customer's workflow. You know, if you have a thousand square foot garden and you're running like, you know, hand picked, hand trimmed cultivars, you need computer printer scanner scale to get information in and out of metric or leaf or whatever you're using. If you have a hundred greenhouses out in the middle of California, you still need computer printer scanner scale. You just need more of them. You also need a different configuration for your mother room then your propagation, then your veg, then your bloom, then your harvest, then your processing. Like it's all computer printer scanner scale, but the right tools, right place, right price is what I am trying to get in with the knowledge that all my customers have that I'm a cannabis person first and foremost. I am not a printer salesperson. Everything that I know about labels, I learned first in my garden, putting labels on my products. I got a much deeper knowledge and training once I got into the position that I'm in. And I think that just like made me more dangerous because I know what the workflow is and what people are actually trying to do. And now I have a really wide breadth of knowledge about what these manufacturing technologies can offer because that's like my main focus is to get growers to stop thinking like growers and start thinking like manufacturers. They need to keep all of the pride that they took as growers, but now they need to think bigger. They need to start thinking about touches, how many times you touch your product when you're putting it together rather than how long it takes, you know, and just subtle shifts in thinking like that, that I have learned that I now get to pass along to people that I am helping is been pretty rewarding. I dig it. I dig it a lot. I love that. There was so much that you said that I want to unpack and touch on. And I guess let me start by kind of interjecting the sentiment around. I think it's so exciting that people want to get into cannabis, but I think you said it. There's so much that we just don't know. And as a result, bad contracts, bad partnerships, lost money, just like failed attempts. I think everybody's unbanked, like unbanked right now. Right. And it's like, you don't know what to do. And I think from my perspective, I own a retail shop here in Austin. And I think it's kind of cheeky and funny at this point, people come in and, and of course, like my whole prerogative is to like educate and inspire people to get into this space and like have it be a functional professional industry that people can enter. Unfortunately, we do not have the necessary processes put in place right now. It is a little bit nebulous. So again, I have people coming into my shop and they're like, oh, CBD, cannabis, this looks cool. How do I start selling it? You know, I'm just going to go open a shop. And, and I kind of laugh because 
everything you described, you know, how much money I've personally sunk into my business and lost because we've made the wrong investments because maybe the law changed or the partner that we thought we were working with said they knew something that they didn't when they really didn't fully understand the cannabis industry or the platform that we were using. And then I think specifically too, to tie it into what your business does at Delta 9, I think, you know, again, I come from Texas. Texas is only legal for hemp. So we don't have the state regulations necessarily right now that would require me to do the whole tracking process from the seed to sale essentially. But especially when you're looking at the legal industry at large states like California, Colorado, I think consumers especially don't realize this. And therefore people who get excited about wanting to get into the industry just don't know all these different pieces that really need to be considered to make sure that you're compliant to even operate legally in the state that you're in. And then most of the time you are actually teaching the people who show up to your facility, what the rules are and what the rules mean and why some of these rules that they have to follow don't make a lick of sense, right? You know, you've got uh, case in point, okay, the 0.3 THC mandate in hemp products, right? I was at an excellent conference in North Carolina at the Advanced Learning Institute. They have a fantastic hemp shop out there. They did a national conference and they had the USDA out there and Department of Ag out there. And I will never forget it. Like the Department of Ag guy sat down and was like, you guys really threw us for a loop with this CBD thing. We had no idea that CBD was even a thing. Like we thought you guys were all growing grass. We thought you were growing bamboo. Like when we heard in like mid 2019 that most of the hemp that was being grown was for consumption, we were like, oh, nobody had this on their radar, which is why there is such a disconnect between the regulators and this 0.3 THC. Like they thought it was all for hempcrete. Nobody had topicals or tinctures or proprietary blend of CBD and CBG on their radar. Like hadn't even considered. The industry is so far ahead of the regulatory space And that sort of like secrecy and like just jealous guarding of your IP is in the industry. I would say this over and over when I was like training people at General Data about the industry is that the people who are really good at this have secrecy in their blood. It is in their workflow. It is in their philosophy to the point where it's like subconscious. You don't even know you're keeping this secret or not telling anybody where your shop is because that's how you've been doing it for 20 years. If you needed a tool and you didn't have it, you made it. If you needed a piece of gear that didn't exist, you created it. Like that's just that, that's the DNA of the industry. And so That's just one of the other stumbling blocks that we are also going to like come across over and over and over again is the regulators don't know what we're doing and what even our goals are. And so the battleship of government, it takes a long time to turn as it is. It's only going to be more, it's only going to be exacerbated by like the personality of the industry. Well, I think that's a really fair point too. It's a subconscious thing. I think you know, especially when we were launching our brand, I come from a digital marketing tech background. I'm familiar with platforms, how to build e-commerce sites. But really when you get into the e-commerce side of things, I'm sure you're familiar, there's a lot of red tape when it comes to what platform you can be on, what payment merchant you can use. If you have a retail store, what POS system integrates with that? And I feel like because of my expertise in tech gave me a leg up to navigate it, but I still was flying blind. I remember contacting every person I knew in WordPress because that was where I previously worked in corporate technology was in the WordPress industry. I mean, people high up at these, you know, WooCommerce, WordPress, different aspects of this platform. And I'm like, I want to integrate my e-commerce to my website, to my POS. How do I do that? And they had no idea. They kept throwing, you know, traditional solutions that might be suitable for non-cannabis industry. But you and I know that because of our industry, there's even more problems that we have to overcome and face. And so it just was something that became very apparent to me as I was fixing or trying to fix the problems that I had. Like nobody's resolved these. And if somebody resolved it, they built it themselves and it was something proprietary 
or they solved it and they're not going to tell you how they solved it. And I certainly took that approach. We're a two-year-old brand. And I think when I first launched, I was very like private of, well, I don't want to tell you who my payment merchant is. And I don't want to tell you what platform I'm using. And definitely I've eased up on that posture, especially launching this podcast. I see the more secrecy we have, the more we're stunting the growth of this industry to have proper regulation. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's, you know, some negative sentiment around when it fully gets legalized, you know, across the board, what does that look like? But I think right now, the scary thing that consumers don't realize and is such a huge gap for marketing is the inconsistency, the inconsistency when it comes to testing, the inconsistency when it comes to dosing, the inconsistency when it comes to what is actually permissed on a label. And I think you have all that swirling. And as a marketer, it's like, well, I just want to sell CBD, but how do I actually sell a product that is not properly regulated and is not communicated in truth across the industry of what's consistent that we all agree upon. And so you're just kind of netted in the middle. Like, I think that what I'm saying on my labels is right. And I think the way that I'm approaching this industry, my business is right, but we don't know what we don't know. And so it's kind of really the impetus for this conversation is like, let's just talk about this stuff and kind of call it out. And, you know, I do think that the rising tide lifts all boats. And so I really, truly would love to see this industry continue to further legitimize. It's just at the cost of you know, I think a lot of us investing a lot and learning a lot and failing a lot. And so you touched on a lot of really good things. I want to kind of break that down. You know, who are some of your target customers with Delta nine? Because I know that you do seed to sale, you know, technology that integrates with all those different facets, but help our listeners kind of understand that. Okay. So you can break the categories of cannabis businesses down into a couple of neat buckets, right? You've got producers, you've got processors, you've got retailers, and you've got some ancillary plant touching or product touching categories like delivery services, transporting services, right? So when we're talking about producers and processors, you need the technology that will maintain compliance first and foremost. You've got to maintain your chain of custody. But what I was always interested in was all of the data that is around it. And this goes back to everything being really compartmentalized. We are still, as an industry, gathering all the pieces that we need to build into one platform. So what I talk about a lot with my customers is do compliance as the same time that you are doing ERP or enterprise resource planning, right? Because all of the data that you need to report to the state is sort of useful to you, but that is the beginning basis for you to create good atmospheric logs if you're a producer processor, create feeding logs, create work orders. So eventually people will be able to show up and say, okay, I know I've got to do a hundred cuts in this room and I've got to water this room. I've got to do a visual inspection on this room. And then I've got some maintenance to do. All of that goes back to the individual ID on every plant, which is both the beginning of ERP and that is the beginning of compliance for the state, right? So you can do both of those things at the same time. And those are really the pieces that I'm really interested in gathering. Chain of custody and traceability and being able to collect other relevant actionable data and just layer that on top. So what you end up with ideally is like a really complex Gantt chart, which is like all of the tasks that you need to accomplish for a given project, all sort of lined up with the time that it takes. And if you can associate those tasks with individual plant IDs, that is the beginning of creating work orders. So that master grower, that you are paying 10,000 bucks for can basically create a recipe, create a task list, and then your ERP will get assigned. You know, these are, these are big nebulous sort of concepts that I'm talking about, but this is the way other industries function. Automotive, manufacturing, like there is an SOP. It gets done the same way every single time. And if we can get cannabis producers and processors to keep that craft small batch plant touching like that. Those are the, those are the flowers that I like to smoke. Those are the concentrates that I like to see. If we can get those processes 
combined with a manufacturing mindset, that's like my, my big, big goal. I'm sorry. I think I got a little bit off topic of what you were asking, but like, that's just like where it goes back to over and over and over for me is like, if you have the right technology to gather data and capture it, once it's in the computer, then mathematicians and smart people can look at your data and really extrapolate actionable data and actionable processes out of it. But you've got to capture all the data first. And that all starts with barcodes. I think you bring up an interesting aspect of the industry though, too. You know, there's so much passion and care and craft to cannabis. And you have a lot of people who are farmers at heart and they just love the plant. They love the soil. They love the genetics and how they can breed different strains together and come up with something, you know, exciting and interesting from a therapeutic perspective, even perhaps. But then you have this business side and, you know, whether it's being compliant for the regulators to make sure that what's coming in is what's going out or from a, again, a marketing side, you're trying to guarantee consistency in a product. I know so many, you know, of the early stories of edibles where it, it was just so hard to dose. And, you know, you got someone who makes really good, you know, let's say brownies, but they're just dumping in essentially cannabis. And then the way that it was baking, it wasn't always every piece was the same amount. And so, you know, just kind of knowing that side of the industry and then also wanting to see it more professionalized. I think you do have this tension in the middle where people are like, Oh, like, why do I have to do all these things? But it's like, that's how other industries are done. That's how standards get set. And that's how consistency and you can build an industry around it gets done. And so I think, yeah, people are looking at cannabis like, wow, it's a $70 billion industry. And then, you know, you and I, the people in the industry are like, yeah, we're literally running around with like our hair on fire half the time. Like things aren't working. That's about what I spent. Yeah. 70 days. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, that's just like a drop in the pond for me. Just, you know, a casual day of, of trying to navigate this industry. It's just, it's so fascinating to me because I wouldn't trade it for any other opportunity in life. I think it's so fulfilling to do it, not not for a second, but then you really are confronted with like, oh, this is a little bit amateur hour and we're all figuring it out together. Like, okay, cool. And just to tag back on what you were saying about folks who feel squeezed and are resentful about the industry sort of taking over the craft, mm-hmm. there is nothing keeping anybody from maintaining their craft. And honestly, my favorite Instagram accounts are the ones who had like decent medical exposure, but did not want to make the transition into the legal regulated market. And so they went back to their tents. And they've got gorgeous 10 by 10 tents and they are pulling down turkey bags of the finest cannabis on the planet. And they always will. Just like the craft brewers are going to have the most interesting flavors of hops and yeast that are just incomparable to what you can buy, even in the best craft section in any grocery store, right? That is always going to exist. But in order to go from that to a $70 billion industry, some standards have got to be set because everybody in this industry knows somebody who was spraying Eagle on their flowers right up until we were sure it caused neurological damage. And then they were like, oh, maybe I'll just spray it even less. Maybe I'll just use less. And that's just like the fact of the matter is that we all know the dirty truth is that the cannabis industry is full of sketchy people too. There are amazing people, warriors, people who are trying to cure themselves, cure their children, cure their family members. There are also hairy wooks out there who are just trying to like stack up paper and buy some sneakers. That's just the truth. And we have got to protect ourselves and our industry from them the same way that people like are protecting themselves from people who build like faulty planes. You can't put people in a plane if it has not been inspected by everybody. You cannot give people something that they are going to smoke and inhale without some rules and some regulations that everybody agrees on. We can either stick our heads in the sand and say, no, 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 my plant, it's a free plant. You're not going to tell me what to do. 
and they're going to make the rules anyway. Or we as an industry can keep one hand on the wheel and help steer the industry and learn from the people who have regulated all of the industry that runs our lives every day and say, okay, there are ways to track like this bag of green beans that I have. Like Del Monte knows where that bag of green beans came from. They know who grew it. They know what section of the field. They knew what it was fed. And we just have to do that too. And we have an opportunity that most of us would never have had to participate in a global industry. We would have been worker bees for Del Monte. Now we get to own Del Monte. Like some of these brands, they are going to be Coke. They're going to be Seagram's. They're going to be Green Giant. They're going to be Ford. Like these are companies that are evolving right now and we get a piece of it. So quit your bitching. Quit your bitching. Educate yourself. Shut up and do some work, okay? (laughs) That's my favorite slang term to say too is like, just quit your bitching, put your head down, do your work, show up. Like, I think if you get so prideful in what you're doing, you really ultimately will lose out because I think whether we like it or not, the industry is coming, it's happening. It's obviously happening very rapid. I love what you said about keeping one hand on the wheel to help steer it. I think it's so important too for anybody who's in the industry really to not just look at it from an opportunity of like, Ooh, more cannabis exposure, less stigmatization, like more, you know, plant-based medicine, but also how you can be involved to help actually create some of that change. So whether it's getting involved in the politics or a part of the standardization committees, like I personally am just getting even more clued into what all exists out there. And to be really honest, there's a lot still left on the table. Like there's a lot of questions. There's, yeah, there's just like, that's just part of it. It's like, we're trying to navigate and it's like, I don't actually know what all we're doing, but I know that I can show up. I can be in a community with like-minded individuals, whether it's in my city, it's in my state, it's on a national level. You know, I think having these conversations with fellow industry professionals are so key to get ourselves out of our own you know, space for us in Texas, it's exciting because Texas is not recreational or medicinally legal, but hemp is. And so we're getting to have a lot of hemp conversations, but obviously that, you know, ties into the marijuana conversation, but I like to learn from Colorado and Washington and California. And so I think it's so important to look at those States and see what they're doing. Not that it's the explicit final truth, especially if you're following states like Colorado, it's not done yet. They've got a lot of stuff to learn. They've learned a lot of lessons that we can pay attention to and hopefully, you know, mitigate and avoid. But then you look at the big grand scheme of it and it's not federally legal yet. So you still have states who are operating isolated. I just had a conversation the other day with somebody. They were not aware that you couldn't transport products across state lines. And I was like, yeah, because it's not federally legal. Even if Nevada and California are touching, you cannot take your product across the state line. That is illegal. And so I just think you have a lot of excitement around things, but there's not a lot of the dots being connected. And so if, if you and I can just help connect one of those dots for someone to just think a little bit bigger or think, you know, a little bit deeper about something, then I think that's a win. And ultimately for you and I too, it's, gaining more knowledge. And so you talked about something earlier too, that I wanted to kind of bring around because you and I had this conversation offline when it comes to my brand and stuff. So I want to get into labels a little bit. And before I get into labels, I want to talk about, you said something about optimizing the workflow and how many people, or let's say a singular employee, how many times that employee might touch a certain aspect of the process. So I want you to talk about that and kind of kick us off with that idea. Cause I think it was really helpful. Yeah. So again, this touches back to the core business of general data and that is label manufacturing. Like we started out with barcode labels and those are just blank thermal transfer or direct thermal labels. But that very quickly, it's the same machinery used to make those blank labels as it is to make full color prime labels that you see on every single package that you have ever bought of anything. There's a prime label and then there's an information label. The prime label is colorful. That's what the branding people are using to catch people's attention. And then the information label is on the back. 
When I was a producer processor in Washington, I was responsible for ordering everything. Okay. And this was one of the things that I had to learn is that we are used to being able to just like getting on Jeff Bezos's MySpace page and clicking a button and it's there three days later. That's just not how labels work. Okay. It's not just like press print and that special, gorgeous, special cut label that you want just like pops right out of the printer. That's just not how it works. Okay. The other thing that I was thinking about is cost going back to like what our runway is. Everybody is on razor thin margins, right? Especially in this recreational space. I always loved to, you know, hear these dudes that came out of medical who thought they were just like business wizards because they managed to run a business on 500% margin, no taxes and regulation. Like they were some sort of like systems genius, like GTFO, you had no rules and 500% margin. Now it's time to like run a real business and you need to start thinking about just how much does each unit cost? And so when you drill down into each unit, you have cost of the goods, cost of the packaging, and then the labor cost. If you are a good or competent grower, you know what your grams per square foot is. You know what your grams per watt is. You know what your dollars per month are. You're projecting both your sales and you're projecting your production. The labor cost is nebulous. So like me and my brother and sister who were partners at that time, we started putting together our package and putting together our product and we would time it and say, okay, it took me by myself a minute and a half to assemble a one gram container. But then we drilled down a little bit further and said, okay, I'm wasting a lot of time right now because the bag is over here and the sticker is over here and the back label is over here. If we just put the product next to the label, next to the sticker, next to the bag and just had it like this, we could save a lot of time. Okay. Then I started looking about how much it costs to pick things up and put them down. And what that led to was me basically figuring out that my employee who started out at like 17 bucks an hour in Seattle, every time they reached for something to pick it up, it cost me five cents, right? And it doesn't seem like a lot, but if I've got a 3.5 gram jar, okay, I'm going to pick up the jar and put it on the scale, one. I'm going to pick up the bag and weigh it. Picking up the bag, that's two touches. Weighing it, three touches. Take the jar off, four touches. Pick up the lid, five. Put the lid on, six. Set it down, seven. Pick up the labels, eight. Peel the label, nine. Set it down, 10. Put the label on, 11. Set it down, 12. That is 12 times you have touched a 3.5 gram jar and that has cost you 60 cents that you have added to your cost of your package for no reason. That's where all your money goes, is paying people to pick things up and put things down and to walk down halls. That's where all your money goes. And if you can reclaim those little bits of time, just one grain of sand at a time, you will save a whole lot of money. And people would say, ah, oh, you know, I'm not worried about that. You know, if somebody's got to pick things up and put things down a couple times, like, okay. I say, okay, well, when you're weighing out eighths, what do they weigh at? Well, 3.5 on the nose. Like, why? And then they go into this whole spiel about, well, if I'm like 3.7 grams, I'm giving away two tenths of a gram. That's every five things I'm giving away a gram. That's like, by the end of the day, I've given away a pound. I was like, bro, you are giving away weeks of time. And then I break down that same exercise that we just did and said, okay, well, here's a different exercise. This is to pay people to walk back and forth to traceability, right? You've got to log your traceability. One $15 an hour employee walking to and from their traceability to like take notes or scan stuff, two minute walk, five times a day, costs $7,000 a year. $7,000 of that $30,000 a year employee is walking back and forth to their computer. You want to get something, do something else with that time? I did. 
most definitely. So we're talking about touching while we're getting into a manufacturing mindset. And that means taking like a cooking concept called mise en place, right? And that is everything in its place. The bag needs to be near your left hand. The product needs to be near your right hand. So you minimize the effort it takes to pick this up. You minimize the effort to pick this up. You put it together and set it down right in front of you. Okay. As few touches as possible. And that gets people talking about automation solutions, about a scaled automation solution. Like if you're producing a thousand units a day by yourself, well, you're a warrior with an like a bare minimum, like a small investment in an automation solution, those thousand units a day get done in an hour. And then you get the rest of that time back. You get to spend it on yourself. You get to do the other things that you were not be able to do because you are spending a whole day creating a thousand units. And people sort of balk at, well, I can't really spend $3,000 right now on a bottle labeler. It's like, well, Would you like to have two hours of your day back every, like what's 10 hours a week of your time worth as a business owner? Like what is that time worth? We were talking about an ROI of like a week and a half, right? So yeah, manufacturing mindset and thinking about like how many times you're touching things. This is how all other industries function. The cannabis industry needs to function like that as well if it's going to take the next step. If people want to actually earn $70 billion, there's no reason to reinvent all of these processes. It's been done. That is one of the hindrances of that DNA of the cannabis industry that we're talking about. Everybody's got to invent it by themselves. Well, Henry Ford already invented this wheel for us. Okay. We don't have to rethink this systems guy. I think to share a little bit too of my personal experience with our brand, you know, we're about to celebrate two years and you and I originally got connected because I put out a plea on LinkedIn. I was like, I need help with labeling. This is an area that even as a marketer I've neglected and I'll caveat that with the design of the label, in my opinion, is of quality, but it's the production of that label and the investment of the physical man labor and time that it's been currently taking me to produce those labels that has been causing so much headache. But yeah, it kind of came at a point where I knew that I needed to do something about it. And, and I, like you, I've gone to a lot of industry shows and I have a lot of peers in this space, but I think when I was observing and trying to network on this particular subject, one, there was that secrecy issue, right? Nobody really wanted to give up how they were doing their labeling, what was happening, what their secret sauce was. And then on the other hand, it's just information overload. You know, I think from my perspective as a brand operating in Texas, but operating at large in the cannabis space as a small business, Honestly, there's part of me that was just afraid, afraid to make this investment because what if things change? What if all of a sudden Texas decides that hemp is illegal and I've made all these financial investments in my business that yes, in theory could help me scale, but in the present reality are very big investments that I'm not sure are going to be justified should this industry kind of explode. And so I just kind of wanted to share that story because it's something that I'm personally going through, you know, we're a successful brand. We're a nationally recognized CBD brand. And I still am having these pain points of how do I navigate labeling? How do I navigate, you know, this cost savings, this ROI on this time that I'm currently investing a lot of man hours. I mean, we position ourselves as a craft CBD brand. We are a family owned brand. It is a lot of, you know, us in the physical manufacturing of our product And then you're talking about time savings and we want to scale, but it's like, I got to invest money to scale the business and everything you're saying I'm, I'm vibing with, right. It makes sense. And I hope that people are listening and they're like, Oh, this is maybe the next step that I should take to for my small cannabis brand or a medium or large size cannabis brand too. But it's just a very fascinating point because we don't know what we don't know. There's a lot of secrets like we've been saying in the industry and yeah, getting connected to you taught me so much. Everybody's living their best life on Instagram, right? If your brand is good, it looks effortless. And that is the mark of a professional. It looks easy as hell, which is why everybody thinks they can grow weed. It grows like weed, 
but you better treat it like an orchid. And everybody who actually touches the plant knows that. You can tell somebody is new to the space when they keep calling it weed. Like, I see you, I see you. Your terminology is wrong and you obviously do not have the respect for the plant that screwing up a tray of clones that you like loved will teach you. It's humility, right? But what you were just saying about scaling is that people also fear change. In order to scale, that means you've got to do it differently. And it is scary to like, like you've been doing this for two years and we are talking about like changing some of your processes. It's scary. Like, is this going to work? I, I don't know. I, I see it work over there. They are making it look easy. But you also know in your back, like, I make this look easy and it is not. That's like the culmination of time and effort and trial and error and learning and just like my own brain. Like you have put this business together and the idea of tinkering with it or changing it is hard. Like I have the best blank label prices because we are a uh, manufacturer that you can get, like we make the things. I still cannot convince friends of mine to stop buying their blank labels on Uline because they don't want to make a change. They, they know this works and that stability is worth the cost. They will pay money to make sure it works and stepping outside of people's boxes is hard. Like I know it is, it was hard for me, but that's like sort of what I want to bring to the industry is somebody in this space of labeling and printers that like, I mean, let's be honest, there is nothing sexy about direct thermal label printers. There is just like nothing cool about it. There is nothing sexy about it. It's not even geek chic. It's just dumb, but it's like brushing your teeth. You got to do it. And the same thing with the prime label, you know, like, Labeling that can at least be fun and artistic, but there's nothing sexy about getting that label from the substrate or the liner onto the package straight a thousand times an hour. And that's what you got to do if you want to pump out 20,000 units a week, because that's a business. I know a lot of people, friends of mine who think they are in business, but they just have a really expensive hobby. There is a mindset, a shift that has to happen if you want to go from an expensive hobby that kicks back some money to a business where you are paying people's healthcare. But yeah, you know, you want to employ people, you want to give people healthcare, you want to build a business for yourself. And like, these are the paradigm shifts, the change in mindset that people have got to have. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think there's a lot of just getting people out of their comfort zones. And it's like, I've had to coach myself to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think I'm there. However, to your point, I think we get so stuck in what's working in this industry in particular. And we don't talk across the fence to our peers on what they're doing and kind of create an agreed upon standard And the result of that is I think you have a lot of people with good intentions as well as really poor intentions taking advantage of this industry, trying to provide solutions that could work or Mm -hmm. might work. And that's the chaos of living and existing in this industry is just trying to navigate. It's like, well, who do I trust? And if I make that investment, is it going to actually net me success? Okay, well, if I make that investment, is it going to allow me to scale my business and actually see that return on investment in these other areas? And obviously there's arguments that could be made for any case, but I think that's just the reality. That's like a pulse of what we're experiencing. I mean, I'm literally in that boat right now. I'm like, okay, how do I go from doing it this one way? Because that's just what worked but not really if I'm being honest, you know, and and I think, especially coming from a tech background, a startup background, the conversation was always, you know, what got us here isn't going to get us there. And so I think all brands should take a check on, can I keep sustaining this? Is this healthy for us? And so I think for us, as our brand was navigating labeling, it was just so chaotic and so confusing that I got defeated. I was like, I don't even want to deal with this. 
But then the marketing side of me, the marketer in me who knows that a label is such an integral part of communicating the value of educating the consumer of just being a representation of the brand. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. It's the entire value proposition of a product that you can no longer smell and touch. Like back in medical days, like you could crack open a mason jar and be like, yo, pull out a bud. They would like crack it and smell it and like be like, yo, please don't touch your nose with that. It was like a total like process. The value proposition is in the package. You communicate to your customer the craft that you put in it by the choice of container and the choice of the label the feel of the label. I say that all the time, like every single aspect of this object that you are creating and you want to give it like a gift, you have the opportunity to make a conscious choice about every single aspect of it, the shape, the size, the texture. Some people are now even like doing micro encapsulation in the ink of their labels. So when you touch it, it's like a scratch and sniff. I'm talking about like full mercine and carophylline in like an OG Kush label. So when you scratch it, it's like, oh, that's like some earthy bank basement OG. Yeah. (laughs) That is the future of cannabis. That is so cool. Totally. Like engaging all of your senses. Like that's what cannabis is about, right? Enhancing what your senses are giving back to your experience and how you experience the world. You know, I want to start talking about like linking an audio experience to a label where like you do an interactive. Well, again, my secret sauce, I probably shouldn't be putting it out on a podcast, but like, yeah, there are ways to engage all the senses in this package. Well, and we're really just scratching the surface. And I think if you do look at other industries, maybe not in these creative applications like you're describing, but I think if you look at other industries and the capabilities that they have when it comes to the experience of a product and selling a product, it is really exciting to see what we could take advantage of in the cannabis space while also being mindful of the laws and the legality and where that sits. And so I think another component to labeling that's so important too, for people to just be mindful of is keeping up to date with what you can legally say on a product. And I think right right now CBD in particular gets away with a little bit more because we're technically legal, but unregulated. Whereas at least I think marijuana has some sort of regulations by the state that they're in. So CBD is a free for all. I've seen people say crazy stuff on their packaging. It cures coronavirus. It cures <laughs> coronavirus. I've seen people CBD that say- does not cure coronavirus. It does not cure coronavirus. Also full spectrum does not mean that it is THC free. Full spectrum very much means that there is THC in the product. And, you know, I think part of that is we as an industry need to agree on what we can and can't say, Mm -hmm. how we communicate that to regulators so that they can actually make laws that support, you know, what we believe the plant to be true. But then I think you have this, this output from a marketing perspective of like, what can I say? And what should I say? And how do I say it? And I think for us, a roadblock was, we like the control of producing labels in house, because if I needed to change things on the flip of a dime, if regulations changed, or if something came down from the FDA that I should or shouldn't have on my packaging, or if the industry agreed like, Hey, we're not going to call it this term. We're going to say this thing. I want to be able to have control over that. But right. my current capabilities, it's your, it's funny. You're joking about like you line, We've purchased, you know, labels on Avery. We use a very simple setup to produce because we want to be in control. And then you look at kind of the other end of the spectrum where it's full on manufactured and produced by, you know, more systems and processes. It's like, where does the smaller, the middle guy go or gal go to actually have something substantial that can help present their brand in the best way. And really, truly, before I connected to you, I just didn't even know that 
quality label printing and production could be done in-house on a smaller scale with higher quality. And so that's where I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think that a printer that existed, you know, like what? It totally can. And that like, so let's just real quick talk about the different ways that labels are created. Because this is something that I had to wrap my head around as a producer processor and then dove deeper in when I got to where I am, is that when you are printing label, you can either do it with a press like same as, you know, Gutenberg did with the first Bible, you set up an etching and then you press it onto a piece of paper and you get your image. And when we are doing big runs like that, we're talking about flexographic printing where those etchings or those plates are put onto drums and then you roll those drums onto long strips of labels. Okay. Or you can do an inkjet or a digital print, right? And that's like the printer that everybody has on their desk. That is an inkjet or like a laser printer. And that is basically just squirting tiny droplets of water onto the label and then it dries, right? Subtle differences in there. When you're looking at a bottle of Windex and they are producing 100,000 Windex labels a day, that is the perfect candidate for flexographic printing. You're going to run 100,000. These flexographic presses are like 30, 40, 50 feet long. They take three people to operate in a full day to set up all of the different plates and the varnishes and then the coatings. It's a big operation. And it costs the same, basically, to run... 10 labels or a million labels because it's the same three people. It's just how long the machine is going to run. And so with Flexo, you want to run as many labels as possible. You also have the best price point on those labels. And so what lots of cannabis folks were doing is going and getting huge runs of flexographic labels printed. Well, you've got to get that three weeks in advance. And if you want to give yourself time to do any sort of corrections, you want to give yourself five weeks out and then you've got a week for shipping. So all of a sudden you're at six weeks, 42 days. Wait, hold on. My flowers got to dry and cure for about a week. What I ended up setting up in my calendars was that I needed to order my labels day one of 1212 or day one of bloom is when the label order has got to be in. Oh no, week four, air conditioning failure. That round is trash. The labels are still coming and I've got nothing to do with them. I think actually right now I probably have in my old facility in Seattle, like cases and cases of labels that I was just never able to use. And that is just like, Six, seven hundred dollars a box just sitting there frowning at me, going, wah, wah. money that's asleep that will never wake up. <laughs> you know? So you get into digital printing, you can go much faster. Big digital presses can shoot out 500 labels in an economic way. Okay. But you're still at the mercy of somebody else and you still have to order four or five weeks out. So what we have been talking about is getting a super high quality inkjet printer with custom configuration of labels. That's like whatever shape that you want, whatever matte satin or gloss finish that you want. I make those labels and I ship them out. When you want to print out labels, you put them into your printer and you print out seven and that's all you will ever make of those seven labels. Oh, Texas decided you can't say this helps with sleep. Go into the computer, take that text box out, reflatten it, print out seven new labels. Oh, wait, you can say this helps sleep. Put it back, print out seven more. You've got 21 labels that you have printed when you need them in the quantities that you need them. And like you're talking about saving runway and maximizing your time huge cost savings. And like each one of these grains of sand, like I want to save people $2 four different times every single day. 16 times 365 is a lot of scratch. And like, that's how Pepsi thinks. That's how GM thinks. That's how Halliburton thinks. Save money wherever you can. Like getting into a manufacturing mindset while keeping the attention to detail that brought people to cannabis in the first place. Those are the people that I think are going to be super successful. 
That was so well said. I don't even know how to top what you just said or even griff off of it. To kind of sum it up for the people listening, you know, we're at this intersection where the industry is professionalizing, whether we like it or not. We can help guide it and steer it, or we can run away from it. We can contribute openly and transparently on different aspects of technology and processes and even naming that we are coming across as an industry to help establish what that consistency is. But I think people just need to really get comfortable with looking at these previous industries. And I know that it's such a hard sentiment for the cannabis space to really understand because it is such a personal, um, it's a plant, right? Like I think when you're even getting into, and I don't want to get into it, when you're getting into the pharmaceutical conversation, when it comes to cannabis, it's like, well, you know, you want the legitimacy of this is a drug and can be treating things potentially more in a federally legal way. You can say things like that, but the flip of that is then it's regulated like a drug, right? And it's a plant. It should grow in the ground and you should be able to have access to it. And it shouldn't be this thing that's so processed. Um, and so it's like, how do you find the middle ground from that? How do you make sense of it? And I think, you know, what you said of just being mindful of where these other industries have taken cues to create some sort of consistency for scalability is how they've been able to grow successfully. And what? You said something earlier um, about being outside of your comfort zone and getting used to being uncomfortable at all times. You're not in this industry if you don't have that in you. If you are not just super comfortable with being way out on the limb and that limb is shaking and it is raining and there's a bird sitting on you and like you're holding six buckets and like (laughs) it's nighttime and oh look there's somebody else on the branch now oh I gotta hold this person up I'm gonna hold this person up and like people do that and I think it is totally reasonable to recognize and just like hold space for the fact that like if you are in the industry you have spent years being uncomfortable. And of course you're doing everything that you can to find that comfortable spot, right? Like that's always what we said, like after this next round, it's all going to be cool. After this one crop, it's all going to, I just got to get this box out and then it's all going to be cool. You're always looking for like stasis. You're always looking for that safe spot and it's just not going to come. It's just not. And the only way I think through it is to like, make sure your network is full of good people and look around for people who want to share, look around for people who want to collaborate, look around for people who have long-term relationships, right? Lots of people out here saying they've got like a whole bunch of solutions, but they ain't got no friends. And if you had these solutions, you would have people who want to talk about it. You know, like we're all the villain in somebody's story, but we have to like, make sure that we're surrounded by good people who want to push the industry forward. Couldn't have said it better myself. Is there anything that you want to wrap up with that you want to let our listeners know about perhaps where they can connect with you or Delta nine on the web? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the site where you can look at all of the solutions that I have put together is www.delta9systems.com. It's me on the chat. So like, if you want to say what's up, just be like, hit the chat and be like, yo, Chris, what are you doing? I'll be like, well, I'm eating a bowl of cereal and I'm like writing some emails. What are you doing? We'll just like stay on the phone all day. Um, we will be doing the uh, Canacon virtual trade show here at the end of the month. That's the first time that we're going to be getting back into uh, the swing of that things. Um, I do a podcast called a high level conversation that you can check out on that website. Yeah. And I guess I'll like see you guys out in the field. Chris is clearly a wealth of knowledge and he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be one of my new industry BFFs. 
He's good people, and clearly we share the same philosophy when it comes to speaking transparently about what we're learning in this industry. So I hope you'll check Chris and Delta 9 out, and if you learned anything, anything from this show, please, please head to iTunes and leave us a review, and then help spread the word. Tell a friend. Your support will continue to help this show grow. I appreciate you so much. See you next Monday for another episode of To Be Blunt. Bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.